Have you guys, have you noticed that Christmas is the best time of year for movies? Yeah. You know, everything from Christmas in Connecticut, uh, The Bishop's Wife, It's a Wonderful Life. Right now, most of the, the time of year, I, I don't get to watch a lot of full-length movies, some, but not a ton. But every December, there's a list of them that just can't be missed. And even though most holiday films are not religious in the traditional sense, they are great stories. Uh, stories about uh, the transformative power of love that requires us to set aside our selfishness, to give of ourselves to others, and most of all, that requires us to be willing to be changed by a new affection that calls us to lay aside the worldly things that we hold on to with our hands so that we can embrace the things that transform the human heart from within. Uh, which is a theme that the psalmist picks up today in our, our psalm for this week, which is Psalm 73. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to, to turn there and follow along. This is Psalm 73. This is listed in the superscription as a song of Asaph. And he writes, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Lawfully, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, the people turn back to them and find no fault with them. They say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakens, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. My soul was embittered when I was pricked in heart. I was brutish and ignorant like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you, and you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. So did you, did you catch the progression there, the transformation through the text of the psalm? How, how Asaph starts the chapter kind of tentatively hopeful by saying, uh, truly God is good to Israel, to those that are pure in heart. But as for me, uh, 
my steps had nearly slipped. And it's, it's almost as if he's remembering and repeating what he knows about God, and he's hoping to convince himself that it's still true. As he kind of looks around at a world full of greedy and selfish people uh, who seem to prosper while good and decent folks seem to constantly just keep getting pushed around. Does that sound familiar? And which, when I, was, when I was thinking about it this week and about the text, it reminded me of another favorite Christmas movie of mine, and that's A, a Christmas Carol. And the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, who was transformed from a greedy, uh, hard-hearted miser who abused his customers and mistreated poor Bob Cratchit, uh, transformed into a generous, loving man who was reborn, as it were, uh, into a whole new life. And you know, that's what Advent and Christmas is really all about. It's about our transformation. It's about preparing our hearts for the coming of Christ. Uh, and maybe we're not going to have a, a big, miraculous, carol-filled Christmas morning like old Ebenezer experienced. But if you listen closely, you just may hear the voice of the Spirit. Uh, not the, the spirits of Christmas past or present or future, but the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son to show the world what God's love really means. And you know, these past three weeks, we've kind of been building up to today and we've used the Advent wreath that the, the ladies today has did such a good job on uh, to help us prepare for Christmas by examining each of the candles around. It's like a tool to, to get us ready. Uh, three weeks ago, we lit the first candle of the Advent wreath that represents promise. And we looked at how the prophets of God anticipated the birth of Jesus uh, all throughout the promises that were given them in the Old Testament scriptures. The second week, we lit the candle of hope, uh, the hope that Messiah would come quickly and that he would set the world right again. Uh, and then we lit that third candle that represents joy. And remember, we talked about Mary's song of praise, uh, the one that she sang while she was still pregnant with the baby Jesus. And we discovered together how God gives us a joy that's not based on our circumstances because our truest joy comes from God's grace and not uh, because of our own efforts or how we might just happen to feel on a certain day. And today we lit the final candle of the Advent wreath, the candle of love, and we're going to examine how God's compassion for us has been the driving force behind the birth of Jesus, the ultimate gift of love, not for any reason inside ourselves, but in spite of ourselves. Uh, and knowing full well that humanity, just like uh, Ebenezer Scrooge had become, as, as the book says, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, covetous old group of sinners, uh, a people who the psalmist says today in, in verse 73, or Psalm 73 rather, that wear pride as their necklace and then have violence that covers them as a garment. You know, even knowing that God loved us so much that he sovereignly intervened to do something about it. And brothers and sisters, that's real love. But, but you know, that kind of love can be difficult to get a handle on, can it? His kind of infinite, selfless love is really difficult to comprehend because we don't love like that. Or at least I should be honest enough to admit that I don't love like that. See, in, in our sinful flesh, we're apt to be resentful. Uh, we're apt to hold grudges. We're apt to hurt those closest to us as well as strangers because regardless of how good we present ourselves today, we're all still sinful men and women, right? And showing love to other people that we don't know or worse yet, to people we don't like can be really rough. But God's love is different. And the story of Christmas is one of conscious, dedicated, sacrificial, selfless love 
in Jesus Christ who offered himself for the willful sin of others. And that's the story and the impact of Christmas. That God's great love for us is given to us at Advent. It's an active love. The love of God and his determination, in his desire, in his intentionality in sending us Jesus to buy us back from the penalty of sin. And you know, it's really unfortunate that that aspect of God's love is so easily lost uh, in the noise of, of all this holiday season. Right? We, get, we get busy with the trappings and the activities of Christmas and we lose sight of the fact that Jesus' birth is given its eternal meaning because of his ultimate death on the cross. Uh, and we lose it because it can just be so easily lost as we run from shopping to, to parties to, to work to family get-togethers. So this time of year, probably more than any other, we need to carve out some quiet time to be with God in his word. And just to kind of clear away the clutter of Christmas and take a look again at a love that came down from heaven for us on that night so long ago in Bethlehem. And you really have to kind of think of it and, and frame it in your mind like this. Just imagine the, the pre-incarnate son, Jesus, encircled by myriads of angels, living in absolute purity, the second person of the Trinity, existing in total freedom, no restrictions, no restraints, all-powerful, all-knowing, and now limiting himself to the body of a vulnerable infant baby boy in a dirty barn. You see, he wrapped himself in human flesh so that he could live and die in our place of judgment. And he went through all of that just because he loves you, just because he loves me. That blows me away. Listen to how the Bible described it in Philippians 2. And Paul said, you have to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, that though he was God, he didn't think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And see, he's telling us, you see, our Lord Jesus relinquished his dignity, but not his deity. He's, he swaddled his glory and hid it inside his humanity. He surrendered his riches and allowed himself to be born in a stable. He restrained his power and allowed himself to become fully human. And Jesus, because of his great love for us, put his glory on hold. Uh, he set aside his needs and his wants so he could minister to us directly and personally in his incarnation. And you know, when that first cry was heard from the stable in Bethlehem and Jesus came into the care of Mary and Joseph as a wrinkled, blood-covered baby boy, the universe reached a turning point. Because for the very first time, the God and Creator who before had only been heard by His people could now be seen. And He could be touched. All that He was as God now occupied human flesh. And so He was approachable. He was available. He was vulnerable. And on that night in the stable, Mary and, and Joseph were filled with love for their baby as any human parents are. But they could hardly imagine how much this little boy loved them. Listen to how the Apostle John describes it in 1 John 4. He said, God showed us how much he loved us by sending us his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And then he says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. 
And you know, there's an amazing truth hidden in that verse not to be missed, and that's that God initiated the relationship with us. Because you know, that's the exact opposite of what the religions of the world teach us. You know, religion tells us and starts with the assumption that we have to initiate a relationship with God. And then we need to do things to earn God's favor. Religion says, I want to be in control. I want to be the one who chooses to come to God. Because the human ego is always seeking some kind of reason, some kind of merit that commends ourselves to Him. But the opposite is true because, brothers and sisters, you and I are not any smarter or any more holy or any more special than anyone else in the world. Rather, the Bible says we are spiritually reborn not as a result of anything in the world or even through our own personal decisions, but solely on account of God's sovereign prerogative and grace. Because you see, for those that are in Christ, God loves you and there's nothing you can do to make Him love you more. But you know what? It's even more wonderful. God loves you and there's nothing you can do to make Him love you any less. So you can't persuade God to love you more because His love is absolute. And although God hates sin, He loves the people that are sinners with a love that's so absolute that Paul repeats in Romans 5, 8, but God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And that's pretty amazing love, right? But you know, we already, we already know that because 1 John tells us that God is love. That, that love is the very essence of God. And it, it's not just that, that God feels love or that God does loving things, although He, he certainly does. It's that the very nature of God is love. Love doesn't exist apart from God. And it's hard to imagine a love like that. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he, he wrote his letters, he prayed that his readers would just begin to be able to get their minds wrapped around what kind of love God has for us. And he says in Ephesians 3, when you do that, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And then he prayed, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And Paul prayed, may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully, and then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. A, a power that's designed to drive out all other lesser affections in this world. You know, I think uh, somebody who wrote on that really powerfully was uh, Scotland's greatest 19th century churchman, Thomas Chalmers. And he said of this, uh, in fact, that the only power that can dispossess the heart of an old worldly affection is the expulsive power of a new one. And by that, he meant the love of Christ. And he prayed in his words that the love of Jesus as evidence in his cross may so constrain you and I that we no longer live for ourselves but live to him who died and rose again. And you know, this is, that's exactly uh, the kind of point that Dickens was driving to in the closing pages of his book. When, remember when Scrooge awakens on Christmas morning and he's, he's shaken to the core of his being and he says, I don't know what day of the month it is, he says. Uh, I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. I don't know anything. I'm quite a baby. And he says, oh, never mind, I don't care. I'd, I'd rather be a baby, a born again baby with a new life who sees the world and sees the word of God with fresh eyes. 
eyes opened by the power of the Holy Spirit to a brand new affection that marks the first day of a whole new life. And you know, the writer could have almost had Scrooge pray Psalm 73 today. Uh, in verse 20, remember uh, Asaph wrote, Like a dream when one awakens, O Lord, when you arouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you and you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will receive me to glory. And you know, it's that same life and glory that Jesus himself offers us in John 3.16. So I hope you'll, you'll read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Right? That we might be saved through the gift of Christmas and saved for all of the good works that God has prepared for us beforehand to walk in. Walking in them not to earn our salvation, but to demonstrate that we've actually received it and experienced it and want to pass it on to other people through acts of mercy and good works. And not only that, but to share the message of the gospel along with them, like people's lives depended on it, because it does. Because, you know, if all we do to our fellow man this time of year is, is give gifts of food or a friendly visit or volunteer our time, we aren't really showing them the fullest or the truest kind of love that we have in Christ. In fact, one theologian put it like this he said is the height of lovelessness to let men's souls go to destruction while we provide a thousand charities for their bodies you know if we share uh, food and and clothing and time but we don't share the true meaning of the love of Christmas with others we aren't showing the truest kind of love if we help the less fortunate or when we have opportunities to do good things to others but we don't share the love of Christ we're not really loving our neighbors with the same love that loved us enough to give up everything, including his life, that we could be saved. That's why John tells us, he says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Because the natural response to that great saving love of God in Christ is to share and to show that love with other folks around us. Sharing it with a gratitude that becomes transformational in the way that we love God and the way that we love each other. And you know, the best way to express that love for God and the way uh, He most wants for us to do it is to show love for our neighbors. Not just fellow believers, but all those that God places in our path. And to know that doing that is our greatest possession. Just as the psalmist told us today uh, when Asaph said, Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever that I may tell of all your works. So that we could tell people around us who so desperately need to hear the good news of God's great love this Christmas. And you know what? Maybe that person is you. Maybe that person is you. So I invite you to receive it today. Uh, even though it means it'll change the rest of your life from here on out. Even though it means that folks may think you've lost your mind. Uh, just like good old Ebenezer Scrooge in the final paragraphs of Dickens' novel. 
It says some people laugh to see the alteration in Ebenezer, but he let them laugh. He little heeded them, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good at which some people did not have their fill of laughter. But he said his own heart laughed at this new affection, and that was quite enough for him. And that afterwards, it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas, the true transformational rebirth meaning of Christmas well. If any man alive possessed the knowledge, and may that be said of us and all of us, God bless us, everyone.